listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Well, it's great to be here. We're going to talk, like Joe said, on intimacy. So you've had some incredible talks, I know, the last few weeks because I listened to them online. So you got to hear Glenn Packiam give the overall kind of narrative as a drama of Scripture. And he talked about the six different acts of Scripture and pulled this, a lot of this info from N.T. Wright. And, and I thought he just did an incredible job of that. So if you didn't get a chance to hear it, this is a great, it's a really good series. Go back and listen to Glenn's. Joe opened it up as well. He gave some incredible prophecies and, and walked us through just the probabilities of eight of these simple prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And that really blew my mind. So that was an amazing teaching there. And then, of course, last week you got to hear from Aaron Wagner, and he traced the theme of worship through the whole narrative of Scripture. So what I'd like to to talk about today is really, um, I think it's the most important theme of all of Scripture. And so it's through every single book of the Bible. It is incredibly important. Uh, early on, even in Exodus, God makes himself known as our father because he calls Israel, his people, his son, who he carries. And, and so I think that this idea of intimacy with God is the theme that he wants us to really grab a hold of throughout all of Scripture. Because all other themes come together, all other truths, all other revelation, all other great things that the Father wants us to know are revealed in that place of intimacy with God. That if we enter into this very intimate relationship where there's trust, where we encounter him and his manifest presence, then everything else becomes clear to us. And so we're going to trace through that today, starting with the Old Testament and going through the New. And, and I want us to think about a couple questions to help guide this discussion, just kind of keep these in the back of your mind. You can write them on your little, what do you call those things, Joe? The little, the skillet. You guys got skillets ready. Um, Let's think about these two questions. One, who is the gospel? Oftentimes we think about the gospel as this thing, this kind of, you know, uh, person, place, or thing, this noun, the gospel, what we do with. And and really uh, the gospel, the greatest news of all is Jesus Christ. And so, I want us to think of who is the gospel, and I want us to think about who are your talents. And that, of course, what do we know? Who who knows where the parable of the talents comes from? Just shout it out. Anyone heard of that before, the parable of the talents? Yeah, Matthew 25. So Jesus is talking about, I think it's the second parable in that chapter, and he is describing these three different people whom he gives talents to. And, and uh, there's incredible punishment for the one who doesn't do anything with his talent. And so I want us to think about this parable. You know, parables are great. They're incredible stories because they have such depth and width because they can apply to a lot of different situations in our life. And so when we think of the parable of the talents and, and the, uh, the punishment and the anger that the Lord has against someone who doesn't use and care for their talent. Um, the kind of, we could apply that to a lot of situations, right? I've heard it preached on that it be, you know, if you're not using your gifts right, or if you're not using your opportunities correctly, or if you're not sowing into the work of 
you know, some job you've been called to. But, and those are all great. But if we think about it in terms of the people that God's given us, our field, our field to nurture and to work in, the people around us, then the parable really comes to life because you can see God values people so much. So again, two questions we're going to think about today as we, as we work through this as the scriptures. Uh, who is the gospel and who are your talents? And so today we're going to, the, the title is uh, Intimacy, Living with a Fully Awakened Heart. And, and then this is, because it's such an important theme, um, I think that there's so many verses we could key in on and so many passages, but I want to just make it real simple for you. So if we can throw up here the first scripture, this is from 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this really summarizes succinctly what the theme is for today. And so it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So, so this, these two scriptures capture the two ideas of intimacy. And one is proximity and two is agreement. So the proximity, all I mean simply, just we'll define this really simply, is that coming near somebody, that you're in the same place or you're drawing closer to them, you're coming near. Um, and then agreement is, that's just self-explanatory, right? You're going to come into agreement with somebody, you're going to be in unity with somebody. And that's really what, what I get out of this passage is that we can approach God confidently, come into his presence, and come into agreement with him. So... So there's this big idea of intimacy that's throughout the scripture. Glenn covered this really in Act 3, didn't he, with the family. He described first the creation in Act 1, and then the fall in Act 2, this tearing apart, this rending of relationships, and then really bringing and drawing together his family in Act 3. And so he he talked about the whole family of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And how they were called and set apart and God loved them just because he freely and radically loved them, not because of anything they did. And this was this idea of family coming to life. Uh, And God really had to show because there were so many relationships rent and just torn apart from sin and from act two in the fall that he he had a lot of work to do, right? He had to work with his broken people to restore this idea of intimacy that was already established in Act 1. Okay, so it's not a story primarily of romance. I don't know if, I mean, today, just because we have so much romance and romantic comedies and things in pop culture, when I hear the idea of romance even, I, it kind of it's just kind of lost its true meaning. I mean, sad to say, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of romance, I almost think of like movie titles with, Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. And, you know, it's just like, it's so watered down today in our culture. And it's, it's just not really what God intended. God intended romance to actually be more like intimacy and what that's about to last in covenant. So it's not just temporary or something that's fun for a season, but that, that really lasts forever. And so he did this beginning with his family. And so let's break this idea of intimacy down. Um, so how many of you 
have either dated somebody or wanted to date somebody, I'm sure, most of us. And if you haven't, that's okay too. Um, because you all still get this idea of intimacy because God created us to be intimate with him. Not just with other people, but primarily with him. And, and the great thing about this difference in the intimacy we have with God and with people is that God is ever faithful and we can trust him. He's always good and he won't hurt us. He's always merciful. And so he'll care for us even when we don't deserve it. And, and so I, I would say that probably some of the things that we need, we want to process today and work through are obstacles to becoming intimate with God because we've either applied some expectations onto God that we've gotten the pattern of, of thinking about from our experience with other people where we've been hurt or vice versa. We're putting expectations onto our friends and other people we want to, intimate, we want to be intimate with that are really expectations that should be put on God alone, right? If we expect our friends and the people we love and the people we want to grow intimate with and the people we want to come into agreement and come closer to, we put expectations that they're going to be perfect and receive us like we want them to, like it's probably not going to work out for us very well. And that's where bitterness and unforgiveness and those things kind of set root in our hearts. And, and likewise, uh, sometimes we've just been so hurt, right? We've been hardened in our hearts because of the things that have happened to us not by anyone's specific choice, but also other things where people have specifically sinned against us. And so then it's hard to love God, right? It's hard to trust because our hearts have been broken in those places. And, and then we don't know how to let go of it so that we can come into that presence and be intimate with God. And so, so I think it'll be really helpful for us today to take some exercises and, and use our skillets and, and just break real quick and take a, a couple minutes in our tables and not everyone has to share something, but I'd like at least a couple people at a table to share something. But, but if, you've, if you feel like you've put expectations on your friends or family or somebody else that are expectations you should have for God alone, then, then maybe talk about that a little bit and consider repenting for that. And repentance, let me just tell you, that's my favorite thing to do in the world. It's actually something that's joyful. So a lot of, a lot of us think we just have a hard time even hearing that word because we just think of Oh, woe is me. And you think so poorly of yourself all of a sudden. Well, that's not true. We all need to be, we, we're, we're told in the scriptures to, to maintain repentance and to keep, to keep in the fruit of repentance. And so, so I think, and vice versa too, you know, if, whether we're putting expectations we shouldn't on God or each other, let's talk about it. Go. All right. That's five minutes already. <laughs> Can't believe it. you guys are having a great conversation. Sorry, but we'll jump back into the lesson now. And, and um, let me just join you, for those of you who got a chance to actually share uh, um, a few insights with each other about maybe where you have misplaced some expectations. I do it all the time. And so I repent all the time. And so I just want to join you in prayer right now. God, I repent of my just forgetfulness and forgetting who I am as your son, forgetting who I am to just love people unconditionally and to harbor unforgiveness. And God, I ask that you would forgive me. God, we ask that you would forgive us. And we ask that you would help us to live in the full freedom of enjoying each other and not putting expectations on each other that are too heavy or burdensome, but that we would just expect the best of each other and be able to still at the same time forgive in Jesus' name. 
All right. Well, repentance feels really good to me. I love it. So <laughs> um, let me just tell you, illustrate this idea. So again, the big picture is intimacy with the Lord. And that means two things, coming into his presence and agreement with him. And I, had a, I have a really good friend who, who moved to Washington, D.C. recently. And so we were in Boulder and she was at, at CU, a student at CU at the time on their main campus. And, and so I don't know if you know these doors I'm talking about, but they swing, they're circular, and they have little pie-shaped sections that you step in. It's like a turnstile door. So they have one of these at the bookstore at CU campus in Boulder. And there's this guy who uh, obviously was excited about my friend. So she didn't know him. She'd seen him around campus. And he was very awkward, um, just really kind of tripping over himself. But it was, it was really clear that he was interested in my friend. So we're up there. I'm helping her get some books. And um, I'm watching this thing unfold because this guy's staring at her. And incredibly awkward. And so she's heading for the door, the turnstile door. And this is one of, it's not like a big hotel where there's where two or three people can fit in these things. It's like a little one. So one person per space. And then you wait. And the next person per space. And so she gets in line. And I kind of step back at this time because I'm enjoying seeing this. And he jumps in front of me. And he's got his backpack on. And excitedly jumps in the same space as her thinking oh yeah I can make this and it's like (laughs) so what's even worse now is the door starts to turn and she can kind of feel him on her back and his backpack gets caught and jammed as the door turns and so now no one can enter or leave the building so he's literally spooning her in this door (laughs) and (laughs) The backpack is caught behind him awkwardly and he's breathing down her neck and I see her going like this and like <laughs> she, she's just squirming inside and cannot wait to get out. So people are gathering on the inside trying to get out. People are gathering on the outside trying to get in. And so all of a sudden dozens and dozens of CU students are just standing there. I felt terrible for her. I thought it was funny at first. I just wanted to die for her. She was so uncomfortable. And so really, this illustrates great that you can actually have proximity with somebody and not have agreement. (laughs) And they definitely didn't have agreement. So so it's the same way with God. Um, And I want to tell you a little bit about my own story. Because I kind of did this, this same thing um, to God and made God feel quite uncomfortable in, um, I think, really just breaking his heart for a long season in my life when, when I could have just simply repented and come into agreement with God and what he wanted to do in my life. So, I mean, I had a great relationship with him when I was a little kid, um, uh, experienced some real intimacy, just some uh, encounters with the Lord at four years old, at five, at six, all the way through until that time I was 10. And then we moved to another town and our local church was pretty unhealthy. And I just was, um, it wasn't the same. I was comparing all my experiences to the experiences I had the previous six years and I was not satisfied. And so I remember as a 10-year-old hardening my heart and saying, I do not want to go back to this place. And so for the first few years, every Sunday when we'd gather, 
I was just kind of tuned out. I would make jokes with my brother and draw on things, pass notes to other friends during the sur- I mean, whatever I could do to be distracted. And, and it doesn't, may not sound like a real big deal then, but, but what was going on my heart was a big deal because I would go off to the side with other friends, not in this gathering on Sundays, and I would have great prayer and intimate prayer and fellowship and relationship. But in other areas, like on Sunday, I would close off my heart. And what happened was I lied to myself and I, and I actually began to believe the lie that I could do this in a healthy way, that some parts of my life I could shut off to the Lord and other parts I could keep open. And, and what I didn't know at the time is that that selfishness, that seed had taken root in such a way that when I got older into high school, it grew into just really sad selfishness and partying and lying and, and binge drinking and doing this stuff often. And so, and I had already patterned my heart in so many ways to, to thinking that I could do this and live, live this kind of dual life that um, it was really difficult for me to let go of that when, when discipline came and kind of the patience of the Lord with me ran out. His patience never runs out, but there are times when he lets you feel the weight of his disagreement with you. So there's only certain times when he'll let you stay so close to him in proximity with him and then and still be in disagreement. When you're in the presence of the Lord, you're going to know what he wants from you. Now you can choose to harden your heart, but it's only going to last for a certain time. And then you have to make a choice or it will eat you up from the inside out. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Can anyone relate to that? Yes, thank you. It's, it is difficult, isn't it? You, when you get to that point and, and you realize that what you've been doing in hardening your heart is hurting the Lord and that he disagrees with you, all of a sudden now you're confronted with that truth and you either want to run so you can continue doing what you're doing, which is really bad because now you're both, you're not even in the presence of the Lord and you're not agreeing with him. Or you can finally surrender and submit, right? You say, I give, uncle, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to agree with what you want in my life. And, and so the same thing, the Pharisees, it's interesting. There's, there's a passage in the scripture that talks about the Pharisees knowing the scriptures in and out, right? And then what does it say? Anyone? Say it louder. That's it. You think you know me because you know the scriptures, but you refuse to come to me. You refuse to come to the one that these scriptures talk about. So so there's a sense too where we can fully be in agreement with God. We think we are. We're in agreement with his ways. We're doing everything right on the outside. And yet we have no idea of what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. And we have to have both of these things to be intimate with God. We have to. And so what God did when people were so broken and so lost and so torn, those relationships with creation, with each other, with God that Glenn talked about in Act 2, 
when we were all in that state, people all over of every nation, God slowly began to teach us ways where we could come into agreement and where we, we could come into his presence. So let's, let's look at a few of these scriptures and see the goodness of God in teaching us this. Um, Exodus 40 is one of my favorite chapters of the scripture. And, and this is the point where Moses had instructions and they are to set up the tabernacle of the Lord that they would pack up and travel with and then set up wherever they stopped and camped. And when they stopped and camped and set it up, they were supposed to experience the presence of the Lord. So, so chapter 40 in Exodus is the first time they're setting this up. And if you read the chapters leading up to this, and then you read all of chapter 40 before the end, it is incredible the amount of detail that God gave them to erect the tabernacle and the furnishings and all the holy things and the holy place and the holiest place. And, and, and you almost think, what in the world was all this about? Why so many instructions? Why all this stuff we got to follow? So they finally get to the end of the chapter and it's like, um, so all of the building was set up, check. Everything was anointed, check. And then there's this verse in, in uh, 40, 33 that says, so Moses finished the work. Moses finished the work. So what it's saying to me is God had something for him to do. God had something for the people of Israel to do, his family, and they did it. And they did it. They finished the work. They're obedient because they love the Lord, because they passionately wanted to follow him. And so what happens when we do this, when we come into agreement with the Lord, the next verse, 34, says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, let's compare this to what was going on in all of the religions at the time. People were sacrificing to all kinds of gods. And you know what they were sacrificing for? is so that they wouldn't be punished. They were appeasing other gods. They were appeasing other gods. And so this is incredible. This is extremely different from anything that people had experienced at the time because the gods weren't present. The gods just sent spirits to come and torment you unless you did what they wanted you to do. But now God was saying, look, I got some simple instructions for you and you follow my ways, I'm going to lead you into a good place where you're going to experience my presence. And it protects you, it guides you, it covers you. So this is just a beautiful picture because they simply do what the Lord had for them to do, and he comes with his presence. All right, so, so let's, I'd love for you guys, if you guys do studies later on on your own, and you kind of get back into the word, and you, if you want to take your skillet, and write down a few of these scriptures you can study. There's some other examples that I really love throughout the Old Testament of, of Israel and his family coming into his presence just because they simply loved what he had to say and they did it. It's Exodus 13, 21 and 22. Exodus 24, 12 through 18. Numbers 9, 15 through 17. 2 Chronicles 5, 11 through 14. And I'll just give you 
uh, one other example from the Old Testament before we move into the New. And this is one of my favorite books too, Malachi. It's, it's beautiful because this whole idea of intimacy is captured with the idea of family, right? <clears throat> so God, more than anything else in scripture, he represents himself as family. We're often sons and daughters, and he's most often our father. And so in Malachi 3, 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So he goes on later to talk about this prophet, these prophecies that, are, that come about hundreds of years later in the New Testament with the advent of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he says that this is the time when fathers will come to their sons and daughters and sons and daughters will come back to their mothers and fathers. And so family happens, intimacy happens again. And, and this is great because it's saying, who will prepare the way before me? He's going to prepare the way. So you guys, this is not something that we have to strive for, right? This is easy. The God wants to do this in us. We just need to surrender and say it's time. We need to give. We need to say uncle when we're, when we're disagreeing with God and trying to go on our own way and just receive his guidance as our father. Receive the spirit to empower us and receive Jesus as our friend. As John 15, 15 says, he even, he calls us friends. And that's not the language of, of, you know, angry God with distant people. That's, a, that's the language of intimacy. So, all right. If we switch to the New Testament, um, there's, there's just incredibly a lot to say about this. But, but first, let me, let's look at some imagery. So you start off in the Old Testament with the tabernacle. You do everything that God has to say to you. And this is such a shock compared to what they're used to in the cultures surrounding them at the time. And God comes with his presence. Then you pack up the, ta- the tabernacle, all of, the, all of the things that go with it and inside of it, and you move on. Then you set it up again. Then the presence comes. Then you pack it all up and you move. And so it's like this idea of God training them that I'm good. You listen to me. You come into agreement with me. I'm going to meet with you. Okay, so then they have the tabernacle of David. And they set it up. And oftentimes it's set up in the same place. And he establishes 24-7 worship. And so now it's the idea because cities, they're, they're living in a culture of cities now that have walls. And they're not living in a place where they're nomadic and traveling all the time. They can afford in this one city to have the tabernacle set up 24-7. They couldn't do that in the past because their culture didn't allow for it. But now they can. And so now they're experiencing constantly this idea of, okay, we can remain in the Lord's presence. Well, then comes along his son and the temple for the first time is established through Solomon, right? So same idea. There's all these new instructions. They fulfill the instructions. God's presence comes. But what do these things, what do the tabernacle and the temple point to? What are they shadows and types of? This is the same thing that Malachi was prophesying in chapter three, they're pointing to Jesus Christ. He said, he's gonna, what? Tear down this temple and raise it again in three days. So, and then, so, so we, we understand, see this idea of increasing intimacy as we get further and further and further along with God. So who's the temple when Jesus leaves? Jesus says, it's better that I go 
because he wants to send the comforter who's going to live in us and we're the temples of the Holy Spirit. So this is radical because God, all we know, what is this telling us? That we, as we live our lives, as we get older, as we look forward to having kids and future generations, they're going to experience even more intimacy with God. It, does, it never gets worse. It only gets better. And so the things that we should set our mind on and our heart on are to be intimate with God like we've never been before. We have the opportunity to receive intimacy, to receive this presence, the manifest presence of the Lord like never before. So, and it's going to increase. Now, I would offer that some of those obstacles we identified earlier in our groups, we talked about maybe where there's unforgiveness in our life, maybe where there's fear or doubts, maybe where we've put expectations on others that they should be perfect when we know only God is perfect. Those are some of the things that are going to keep us from experiencing the intimacy in a deeply meaningful way that we want, that God wants for us. That doesn't mean that God's ever going to leave. He's omnipresent. So we know his presence is always here. He's everywhere. Even, even the psalmist says that, you know, where can I go from you? Because he knew this reality that God was everywhere across the earth. But we have to understand too that there's the idea of manifest presence. That there's those times when God speaks to us and that we have this communion with him and it's like he's here. We feel his presence. And so if we want to enter into those things, then we got to think about how we can remove or step around some of the obstacles that we might have laid in our life. So, so let me just tell you <laughs> God, ways that God does this. I, uh, when I got into college, I told you that this kind of selfish streak had grown to the point where I was just rebellious in, in ways. Um, and I remember, I remember thinking sometimes in prayer, like thinking, God, I am wrong. And even feeling the weight of the Lord on me. And it's not a comfortable feeling at all. And, and I thought, you know what? I'm just enjoying <laughs> my life that I've established and the way I've established it. So I don't know if I agree with you, God. And then... And so, so what he was trying to do is he's trying to speak to me first. God always tells you first. You get the still small voice, he's going to let you know. But if you harden your heart to that like I did, he's going to start sending people your way. So I, it was crazy. It was in, in a matter of about six months, my, uh, <laughs> right at the end of my sophomore year and the beginning of my junior year, um, especially through the end of my sophomore year in that summer, he sent me several people who didn't even know me. And they would say things like, you know, I've heard about you and what you did last weekend. And, but aren't you like going to this vineyard church downtown every weekend? And don't you also lead a Bible study? And it's like, isn't there something about your witness that tells people you're probably being selfish if you're living like this and not really helping people out of that lifestyle? And <laughs> you know what I told them is, um, the first few people are, who are you to me? I don't even know you. I don't even know you. Why should I trust you? And, and it hardened my heart even more. And so these were people that God was trying to use 
to help me come into agreement with him. And finally, it, I felt like it was really a breaking point for me because inside I was just tearing up and um, I knew I was wrong, but I was refusing to repent of that. And there was, there was one woman that God was just gracious. He was so patient with me. And I looked back on it. I can't believe how patient he was. But she had led a Bible study for me and several friends for uh, our first two and a half years at school. And uh, she must have known, just known the timing was right. Because she called me up one day and said, hey, can we just take a walk downtown? I want to take you out for coffee and walk and just tell you a little bit about my story. So she did. And we spent several hours downtown Colorado Springs, walking along the river and walking down Bijou. And uh, she told me her whole story. And it was um, incredibly vulnerable. And she opened up her life to me in such a way that I saw, man, I, I am doing the same things that she did in middle school. And yet she's not telling me I'm wrong She's just telling me her story right now. And the Holy Spirit convicted me so much that I just started to weep. And I just started to cry. And I'd say, God, and I told her, Julie, this is, uh, this is just perfect timing because I need to change my life. And, and it, was a, it was a radical shift for me. And so it was the first time in years where that one space in my heart that I had sectioned off and then I had closed off and I said, no, God, this is mine, not yours. And I'd refused to become intimate with the Lord in that space. That's the one place where he needed and wanted so badly to open up. And I just was refusing to allow him to do that. And so when I did, his presence came in such a way that it broke my heart, tears flowed, And I understood again, my heart came to life in a way where I I understood what intimacy is. I said, yes, God, I thought I was living intimately with you because I was praying. I was still talking to you and about a lot of parts of my life, but not this part. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, it could be doubts. It could be fears. It could be any kind of obstacle that you have allowed to come into your life. And you might even be listening to a lie from Satan right now that says, you, do, you can't forgive this person because this was done to you. It might be nothing that you did of your own uh, inclination, of your own will. It might have just happened to you because we live in a sinful world. But I would say even those things we have to face and we have to turn them over to the Lord and ask the Lord to carry these things for us. Because if we close off our parts of the heart to the Lord in those areas where we've been hurt, then there's ways that he wants to be intimate with us that we don't even know about yet, that we don't understand, and that we're missing out on. And so I want to read to you just one verse, one passage in the New Testament that really captures this well, and it's from Hebrews Uh, 12, starting in verse 18. And this is is really what the author of Hebrews is trying to to tell us, is that we need to come into agreement, and we need to come into the presence of the Lord so that we can be intimate with him. Because we have an opportunity like never before in the history of the world. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, 
to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you, all of us, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. I just want to say that um, <laughs> let's, let's commit together today and for the rest of our lives to, to refuse to believe the lie that we have it all or that we've come to this place where we know God or we've become fully intimate with him. Because he's shown us this pattern throughout scripture that he always is going to reveal himself in a deeper way. And if God is truly infinite, if he's truly infinite, then he's going to be able to show more of himself. Always. He never runs out. His love never runs out. The things he wants to show us never run out. And so the way we do that is simply, passionately coming into agreement with him. And when we do that, and when we call for his presence, he's going to come. He's going to be intimate with us. I'll tell you what, too. When we do that, the intimacy that we are seeking in unhealthy ways will be so fulfilled that we will no longer have desire to seek intimacy from people in places where we've been hurt. Because we'll be so filled with the intimacy from God. So let's pray together, and then I'll invite Joe up here. God, we just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this incredible group of people today that have destiny being called out right now in their hearts. God, I pray that you would speak to those places that are hurt and you would heal them. God, I pray that you would speak to the places that they've hidden from you and you would reveal, God, your goodness and mercy. God, your patience in waiting for them to open up those parts of their hearts. God, I pray that that together as a community of faith, God, here in your presence, that we would experience your intimacy right now. God, and you taught us through Paul in Romans 5 that your love is being literally poured into us through the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would fill us with your love. God, that you would reveal those places to, uh, to us throughout the weeks ahead so that obstacles may be removed, so that we may enter in to this place, not just the tabernacle or the temple, or, or being in the presence here and there with Jesus. But God, that we may be entering 24-7 into your presence. God, would you teach us what it means to be intimate with you? God, right now, we just surrender our lives again. We invite the powerful streams of your living water that give us everlasting life to be with us, to be in us, to work among us, to wash us clean. And God, We praise you that you are so faithful, that you loved us first, that you want to do this every day with us, and that it's a joy. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would begin to expose even new revelation and even greater intimacy, not just in places where we've been hurt, but God, in places where we feel well. 
God, that new dreams and new revelation and new experiences of who you are, God, would, would happen in our lives, that we would encounter you in those places. And God, I pray a blessing over the mill in this ministry. God, they are so incredible. I love this community. We pray that you would protect them, you would guard them, you would watch over all their ways. God, that you would bless this ministry of Joe. Lord, that you'd continue to give him wisdom, that you would give him favor, and God, that you would be with this group of people intimately all the days forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.